2: welcome back to the Rick Shields podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Rick Shields, here with producer Guy, and we have a guest to the podcast today, Guy. We and do. It, and it's a, a returning guest he's as a, well.
3: He's a friend of the show. If he makes it to three times, he gets a, a signed Rick Shields Pro V1 that he can keep as a match ball. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he'd basically become a co-host if he was on three times, because we we're only on 35 podcasts. So um, welcome, John Robbins.
4: Hi, everyone. Nice to be back. Thank you so much for having me.
2: It's good to have you back. Now, last time you were here, we've just been debating it. I can't remember if it was this year, now, or last year. Was it the start of this year?
4: Yeah, it was early this year, pre-lockdown video we filmed. Feels uh, like
2: the world has changed a lot since has. that.
3: So was John Robbins, to be fair, though, and his golfing ability, which we'll come on to in more
2: depth throughout the episode. I know. So when John last came up, so if you don't know John, he has a YouTube channel with his friend Alex Horn, and it's called Bad Golf, uh, where... The both of them basically make a channel about playing pad golf, right is that a, an easy description
4: yeah we we play around a month uh together we we 're probably when we started both off about twenty five twenty six and we just wanted to have footage of people who played like us on youtube basically um, <laughs> huge fans of yours obviously. <laughs> Um, but we, we would probably have more shanks in three holes than, than you would have in entire years' worth of filming.
2: Certainly that make the cut anyway. <laughs> True. Shanks do not make the cut for for, for my channel. Uh, no, it's great to have you back on. Last time you were here, we did a little cool video where um, I played with just one club. You played with all of your set. And we had a really good match where you nearly got your first ever hole in one and nearly had the first ever hole-in-one that was documented on video. Unbelievably close at the 7th old Marriott Worsley Park. I like how Rick said a little video. That video has now amassed
3: 1.5 million views on YouTube.
4: Oh, really?
2: <sighs> Do you has. know what I mean? Just a, just a little thing we put together. No big deal. And in fairness, we were debating even going out that day, because if you remember, the weather was horrendous. Um, so we actually wasn't sure if we were going to even get out on the golf course yeah and talk about horrendous weather today we're supposed to be filming and today again as john comes all the way up from bristol it is again torrential rain today so we don't know what plans are for filming today we were hoping to do another video um but we've not we, we're debating whether to do it so at the moment we are just to set the scene we're in a conference room in a hotel in haydock just off the East lengths um and here we are with john because we played yesterday, didn't we, in a charity match? We played yesterday, which we definitely need to talk about. We do. Um, And we've got loads to talk about today. So, like, this is going to be a really cool podcast. John is so interesting to talk to. Um, like I say, with his mate Alex Horn, you are professional comedians.
4: Yes, well, we were until about March the 22nd <laughs> this year. And then have, we have become a professional home recorder. And Alex, he did a sort of a lockdown show with Peter Crouch and he's also yeah. filming the next Taskmaster series, but I haven't set foot on stage for nearly six months, which is terrifying. The upside of that though, which I witnessed yesterday, is your golf has improved, leaps and bounds. Well, I I said to my coach, he's leaving the club I've just joined, and I said to him, it's... Um, what have you done to him? <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, it's testimony to your skill as a coach that... Since our first lesson, I've lost six shots off my handicap, and that happened when the club was closed for two months.
2: was impressive.
4: I basically had a series of epiphanies during lockdown. <laughs> I read a couple of books, and then I came up with a way of, of breaking 90 that I managed to do within three rounds of lockdown easing. And for people who don't know or haven't watched my channel, I basically... Started taking golf more seriously about four years ago, and I would have been of about 26 when I first started back. And that stayed the same, no matter how much I practiced, no matter how good my good shots got. I was driving myself crazy because I was still hitting you know 100, 105, 95, got to 90 a few times, and I was getting obsessed with breaking 90. And actually, the time away from golf gave me just a period of reflection to really actually analyse why I wasn't playing to my potential. And um, I read a book that my girlfriend's dad lent me called The Greatest Game Ever Played. And it's about, I think, the 1922 US Open. Harry Varden versus, oh, what's his name... Pierre Lumet. I oh, wasn't around
2: back then. <laughs> yeah, I should probably know, to be fair, but no.
4: But it's, a, it's sort of about the period when professional golfers were in their infancy as a breed. It was really still an amateur sport.
2: Weren't professionals almost looked down upon Yeah, they amateurs. weren't allowed in the clubhouses. How mad's that?
4: Um, so you had this weird that. world. The better,
2: the better you got, you weren't allowed to. Yeah. That's a weird one, isn't it?
3: It was almost classed as, I'm an amateur, I play for leisure, where you have to make it your living. So you're like, look, I'm going to look down at you almost. It
4: was very much a class thing. Like the the pro golfers at the time were sort of more working class people, whereas the amateurs were sort of would do it as a you know a a pastime, a a sport, a leisure sport, really. So I read this book, and what I took away from it was these people were playing with clubs they'd made themselves; they were playing with none of the rules we have now to make the game easier. So you weren't allowed to repair pitch marks in the in the green. No way. So if your ball rolled onto the, and and lay in a pitch mark, you had to get a, a like a little sand wedge out and chip it over.
2: Oh my goodness! I know Stime has existed. Did, you, did that get yeah. covered in the book? Yeah, that comes up. So if somebody's ball is in your way, they could have the option of just leaving the ball there. Yeah, you, like you snookering to, you. You don't have to chip over it. That's yeah. probably more in match play, but.
4: But what I took away from it was. After obsessing about all like my swing and what I was doing wrong, I was like, "Golf has to be simple. The swing has to be a simple thing. If people who've been playing with like rolled up bits of paper and clubs they've made out of sticks, if they can be- if they can shoot under par in torrential rain, it has to be
2: simple." And get this, this will blow your mind. They didn't even have trap man's back then. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> eh? I mean, come on! If they didn't, the I balls didn't be, were smaller. Yeah, so it was easier to get in the hole.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say. That.
2: No, no. It, it, to be fair, the smaller balls didn't travel as far, and they were right. much harder to. I know they were better through the wind, but they didn't travel as far. Um, I I must admit that was one of my takeaways when I spoke to your you original podcast. I would say you overanalyzed too much of your game, personally. Mm-hmm. And after seeing you play yesterday, you were much more fluid and you seem like you had become more golf intelligent. So your golf intelligence handicap had come down enormously, if that makes sense. Yeah. And now, therefore, your actual handicap has also come down. Because well, what are you off now? I'm off 19.2. So you've come down and a that's, nice chunk. And that's off the back
4: tees, which I hadn't factored in for when I put in my cards to get my handicap, is they're not off the yellow tees. No. So I basically came up with this plan, when driving range is opened and golf course is opened. And the first thing I did was I went round on my own, so my first round after lockdown, and I, I made a note on the scorecard of every shot I lost, by which I mean like a genuine unforced error. Not just not quite how it you imagined it turning out, but a genuine, complete mess up shot. And I got back home and I Wrote them all out on a spreadsheet. Mm. I mean, you're talking about over-analyzing.
2: Okay, I'll take, that, I'll
4: take that statement back. <laughs> but I just I just put down what the shot was in different categories. So they were like putts less than three feet, putts less than six, bunker shots, um, approaches from 100 yards, and also a couple of other categories which were when I'd failed to take my medicine or when I'd hit a shot like a pro would hit that I'm not capable of. So anyway, I had about 12 different categories and I so quite simple then yeah <laughs> so quite simple and I noted them all down and what I realized was that I've pretty much got and I think any golfer who can break a hundred at some point you've hit every shot in the book it's just getting them to all happen in the same round so I noted them all down and it was putts from three feet and six feet and bunker shots I had six bunker shots to get out of three bunkers so it's like, well, there's three shots there. Uh, I had I missed three shots and three foot. That's another three shots. And I missed probably four putts from six foot. So that's, that's what, 10, shots. Before you know shots.
2: it, 10, 10 shots, yeah. So
4: you're breaking 90 with that. Yeah. So I then booked in a lesson, an hour lesson, half an hour on bunkers, half an hour on putts. N- nothing too extraordinary. Went back the next week, did the same thing again. This time I shot, I've actually got the rounds here. The first round back... Um, Please John share. just got his
3: file of facts out.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but the the first round back after lockdown, right? I shot one hundred and four. Went away and had that lesson. Next round ninety six. Did the same thing. Didn't have a lesson, but just focused on the stuff. Next round eighty four. Wow. And I got a double bogey on the last. So I was actually bizarrely close to breaking ninety and eighty in the same round.
3: That'll be outrageous.
4: And. So there's that. So that that's about, I think, people listening. If you're not able to play twice a week and practice twice a week, which, let's face it, most golfers aren't, you need to make the practice you do more effective. And I also noticed at the range, other people coming back for their first practice after lockdown. I'll never forget it. This guy in the bay next to me, grabbing ball after ball, whacking driver after driver, swearing topping it was that rick shields was next year <laughs> hitting the bay angry at himself going i can hit this i can hit this he must have hit 100 balls in about 15 20 minutes
2: watching my how to hit drive a better video
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's not working and i saw myself in that guy he was getting out of breath going m- crazy i could see how tense he was didn't hit a single ball so what I started to do was like, okay, whenever you go to the range, after every shot, you're going to step off the mat. Yeah, I do that and, and you're going to line it up like you line up a shot. And I don't care if you're hitting 20 balls with the 7-iron, even just a warm-up, every shot you're going to step off the mat. Mm-hmm. Every shot you're going to line it up as if you're playing a shot on the course. And whenever I – if I get, like, frustrated, the temptation is to grab another ball and whack it and try and hit your way out of that bad sort of swing. But I just tried to make the practice I was doing as helpful as possible. And then the final thing I, I tried to do was just to just slow my swing down. Just slow it down and slow it down until it's almost like you're showing someone a swing in slow motion. And it, just, it was a revelation that I was hitting the ball as far at what felt like about 70% than this guy next to me in the bay hitting 120%. It was remarkable. So, like, yesterday we went out. My first four holes were shocking because... I locked my keys in my car. Yeah, well, We're going to we come on we, to this. We definitely need to come on to this we, bloody story. Well, we've Christ got, almighty. so this,
2: this episode, well, What are 24 hours, John? Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Yeah.
4: This episode,
3: hopefully today, is going to be a good mix, because obviously, if you listen to the first one with John before, we've got a lot to catch up on. And I've made a few notes, John, on things that me and Rick want to hear from you. So obviously, you've got a handicap. Mm-hmm. We're going to go in that more depth in terms of the process of getting a handicap, how you found it, what you enjoyed, what you didn't enjoy, etc. You've also joined a golf club, so we want to hear more about that. You've had a fit-in for some new clubs, so we want to again hear your experience as an average golfer or a bad golfer as well in terms of how you found your custom fit-in, what you learned from it, um, what was different to what you expected, etc. And also, how we've kind of touched on that, but you've certainly improved your golf. So we really want to dive into those topics. But we've also got a few of our regular features that we are going to cover um, in this episode. We have got our nightmare golf shot. So every week we feature a golf shot that has just been a nightmare. We've got a good one this week. We also started a feature a couple of weeks ago of annoying golfers. So golfers that you play with that do things that annoy you. And it's those almost pet hates. It's almost the pettier, the better. Um, But another little feature we've got this week was have you ever been late for a tee time or almost late? And how did that happen? So the reason that it's a topic this week's episode is because yesterday John Robbins, I was coming to this hotel, was sat in now to pick you up to then go to the driving range to hit 50 balls, loosen up, catch up and then go to the golf course and play in a charity day. When I got to the hotel to pick you up, you were stood uh, almost with your head in your hands with your car keys in the ignition and your car was
4: locked. Yeah, so another, (laughs) like, just to segue in from what we were talking about another thing I realised is that at my level you cannot just turn up to a golf club and hit your first shot off the tee. And it's ridiculous to assume that me, with my skill set, can just turn up at like nine in the morning, stiff, still sort of getting my last bit of coffee down me, and suddenly hit a shot that's going to be on my scorecard. So now... I, I. it's a rule i if i'm playing golf whether it's just with mates or whether it's in a competition i will i will hit 30 balls off the range just and you just need to hit one or
2: two that feel right sometimes you don't even need a range you just need a net or something to get your body moving in a golf way basically
4: and when you're in that net or on the range those first six balls that you kind of top or just don't really connect with that's fine. Yeah, because yeah. you think of like any cricketer or any footballer, any runner, any sports person, they never they imagine if like James Anderson bowling for England just rocked up at the ground five minutes mm. before, bowled his first
2: over, he'd either pull a muscle or, or bowl terribly. Imagine Usain Bolt just getting straight off the coach, get straight onto the track <laughs> yeah. and running a hundred meter in the I mean he would probably still win to be fair, Usain Bolt, but no, so it's, you're no, right.
4: it's no good me saying to myself, why do I always slice my drives? If that's the first shot I'm hitting, so I've got this. The rule now: you just turn up twenty minutes early, thirty minutes early, and and hit a few shots. Yesterday, what happened yesterday? That John? wasn't possible <laughs> because as Guy's car turned into the car park of the hotel, I realised that I'd locked my keys in my car, which I, is a unlike me. B very difficult to do because you can't lock the driver's side door without the keys. But I've been sat in my passenger seat listening to the cricket. Uh, I, did I call you Craig then? No, no. You oh. called me Guy. Um, guy, <laughs> who's guy, Craig? <laughs> Craig, it's, I've been texting Craig about his new shoes. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, guy called, so I picked my, took my phone out of the car, closed the passenger seat, locked it as I usually do, and I thought, oh man. So the next thirty minutes we spent with, may I say, a very kind receptionist and maintenance guy from the Ibis trying to work out a way of breaking into my car with a coat hanger because we thought, well, we've seen it in
2: films. It didn't work. Didn't someone suggest a credit card? <laughs> yeah. There's a credit
4: card
3: and also an untangled um, paperclip as yeah.
2: well. <laughs> I'd have been so impressed if that would have happened. But in reality, you had to get a hammer and smash a window.
4: Nature's credit card, the hammer. <laughs>
2: and luckily, my car
4: is, you know, I love my car to bits. It's worth nothing it's it's technically now a (laughs) (laughs) write-off yeah just because of the smashing of the window so i thought look we've got to get to the tea time i can't wait around for the rac or a locksmith so i'm just gonna have to smash this window so we did managed to get all the stuff out the the maintenance guy taped up the window very kindly after we'd left uh you've very kindly brought a cordless vacuum to get some of the glass out of the back seat and some gaffer tape
2: well about to retract that statement. I offered to bring the cordless vacuum, <laughs> but my, when I told my wife, she went, "You taking the, our nice cordless vacuum to do what?" <laughs> so currently, I have a dustpan and brush and a wired vacuum. So we'll see what Perfect. happens. But I've got some gaffer tape as well. Were, were you clubs in the car? I forgot. to No, ask they, were so they were out already. But um... were you? Was your car on? Was it? Was
4: the? No, no, the keys were just in the ignition,
3: so I couldn't just leave it. It was very visible; it was keys in there. Right. But then, fortunately, we got to the golf course just in time. Didn't have any practice swings, really, did we? But we got out onto the golf course. So then, I put this thing on our Facebook group this morning, asking people for any situations worthy of Mister Tee Time or almost Mister Tee Time for random reasons. And I've got three that I want to read out that might make you feel a little bit better, John, about yesterday. So the first one is from Pete. He said, "I was. I'm guessing lives in Australia, and you'll see why." I was once late because I hit a kangaroo on the way. When I finally got there, I had to deal with an aggressive magpie that seems want me dead, and then I lost seven chrome softs that day. So that was rather an eventful morning for, uh, for Pete. Ouch. I hope the
2: kangaroo's okay.
3: Yeah, another one from Dan Smith, the damn Simpson, sorry. My missus was giving me a lift to the golf club as a few of the lads were going to have a few drinks afterwards. I woke up nice and early, really excited, and got prepared. Packed the car really early, made my nine hole sandwiches, filled up my coffee cup and my water bottles and got to the club about 15 minutes earlier than usual. Went to get my clubs out of her boots and nothing was there. I'd only gone and packed up the wrong car. So we packed his car rather than his girlfriend's car. Brilliant. And then finally, we've got one from James. He says, my father-in-law couldn't find the garage key and it was 6.30 a.m. tea time. So we didn't want to make- wake up his wife. As a result, he arrived in the tee covered in blood, having punched his own garage window in to climb through the window and get his clubs.
4: Oh, so I don't think I'd have got my keys out of the car using only my fist. That fists. is uh, from
3: James's father-in-law. He's obviously a very dedicated golfer to smash his own window to get his clubs out to not wake up
2: his wife. <laughs> to be honest, if you could have smashed that window with your fist yesterday, I'd have been bloody impressed because the first <laughs> attempt with the hammer... Shocked you! <laughs> oh yeah, those windows are hard. <laughs> you had to smash the smallest one because you're driving back down to Bristol again today, aren't you? So yeah, well I
4: I I put on Twitter saying, do I know any car thieves? So do you break in, and uh, unfortunately I don't know any car thieves. <laughs>
2: well, that's a nice way of vetting your followers, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, but a lot <laughs> of people... if someone had sent you like a really detailed description, <laughs> like you'd have been putting a bit of a situation there, going, oh, I don't know if I a should take this advice. A lot of people saying
4: use half a tennis ball. And you put it over the lock and you sort of hit it, and the air pressure
2: forces the lock up. But I think I no might No way. Be a, a Again, bit that a feels a bit James Bond esque. Yeah. So you're not alone. There are other people that mess up massively. But like I say, you got to the tea time today, uh, yesterday, and we actually went and played a golf course that I've never played before. Guys played a few times, obviously, John hasn't. And we had a, a fourth player. Now, if you've watched the YouTube channel from many, many years ago, you'll recognize this player's name, Mr. Rob Potter joined us, the old mid-handicap tester, who actually now is off single figures, he's off a nine handicap, so it was me, Guy, John and Rob Potter playing in a charity golf day in memory of Chris Carberry, and it was at Barrington Hall um, Golf Club, which was an unusual... Place. It
3: is, it's literally, no word of a lie, a two minute drive from where I grew up, from my mum's house, and it's only a, a five minute drive from my house now. It opened about 10 years ago, and it was promised to be amazing. And as you guys can testify, it's got a huge clubhouse that isn't, still isn't complete, so but it's absolutely massive. It is next door to Clark's Golf Centre, which is an amazing local range that opened at the same time. And the golf centre at the time was a Nevada Bobs, and it opened up this lovely range and this amazing golf shop, um, and it was actually. Potentially one of the best golf golf shops in the country. So when this opened and the sister golf course was kind of opening, there was no reason to not believe this golf course was also going to be five star. And
2: it had a really cool name. It was. It going was to be called, called the North...
3: Northwest National, yeah.
2: which I, like that sounds like it's going to be a well, nice location
3: wise as well. It's just off East Lancashire Road and the Rainford Bypass, so you could be from Southport, you could be there in twenty minutes from Liverpool, fifteen minutes, Manchester, thirty-five minutes. It's got a massive catchment area of golfers, so I actually joined it for a year. And it was, it never, it was always kind of being built. It was never built. And the greens at the time, and I've used this analogy a few times, but hopefully it makes sense. A golf green is more than just short grass, isn't it? It's yeah, like.
2: It's tailored, it's, it's built. It's, it's hard to. Yeah. Well, it, 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 when you build a green, there are a lot goes into it. There's sand and there's all sorts of different erasure, stuff in there. The drainage, everything. It's a different you, type of grass.
3: If you mow your lawn to the lowest setting, it's short grass, but it's not like a golf green. It's not even like a furway, is It's just different. Oh. And that's what this course was like at the time. It was just like mown grass that was short. The front nine of the course was actually a decent layout. The back nine was just not very yeah, good. It's a bit... So I went yesterday with you guys and said, look, I'm really looking forward to playing the charity day. It's a great course. Um, but just be aware, the course is a bit w- weird. It was actually a better course than I was expecting. It's really improved. However, it was still a strange experience, wasn't it? Oh,
2: it was so weird. I mean, like I said, at this place, I've never been before. I'd heard of it. I was kind of, I'd heard mixed reports about the golf course. Guys, exactly didn't big it up with his uh, explanation of it just being short grass I'm thinking God John's come all the way up from Bristol for this and I mean Rob Potter had played literally on a mini golf course so it didn't matter about he, he would be fine with anything yeah. Rob will be listening by the way on his do you call it his fat he walk? He calls it a fat walk I think he's also stone since lockdown wow. so fair play to him so well done Rob on that um, we'll, we'll talk about you a little bit more in a minute but yeah so the clubhouse was dead dead weird it was a really weird scenario but the course was okay and the greens were better than just load more lo- Mode lawns. Yes. So it was a best two from four. On the tee, we said, let's, what do you think would win? What What would be a goal score? And John said, 90 points. We thought that would be pretty good. Yes. So what's that? That's about six, it's six 19, points a hole. 19 under. Yeah. No, no 20, sorry, 20 points. Is eight, nine, 90 points. So the best two from four is 18 under par. So it's averaging five points per hole. Yeah, so you need someone to have a net pass,
4: someone to have a net birdie on every hole. Yes, every single hole. Which I think is pretty good
2: going. So long story short, we come in after dovetailing as a team tremendously well and i mean this like the scorecard i was doing scorecard it was unbelievably even spread by the four of us playing uh we all played really well in parts as john mentioned didn't get off to the best start but guy carried the team for the first few holes and then john really picked up his game through the mid section of the front he nine did. and through the through the turn was absolutely killing it rob was super steady as well after again a bit of a dodgy start and I played okay i got a lot of pars etc um 17th hole was a nightmare we only had one point but long story short we had 91 points we're walking into the clubhouse thinking hello you know we've got a bit of a chance here yeah we've we've messed up 17th granted but we've got a chance we lost by 19 points
4: yes possibly even more
2: i think it was a hundred and we lost by 21 points it was so it was
4: which with the greatest respect to whoever <laughs> is cheating yeah made that <laughs> score i just don't think on that course in those conditions anyone no. is what's that that's, 112,
2: 112 points won it
4: and also, what was slightly suspicious is there was a closest the pin on every par 3, and they were not easy par 3s no. by any stretch. And every single one, wasn't it wasn't just stiff 3 foot, it was stiff 12 inches.
3: And it was the, you could only beat it really by getting a hole-in-one.
2: Yeah, and absolutely. someone did. Someone got a hole-in-one yeah, well, the third hole. Yeah, hole-in-one as well. So someone got a hole-in-one on the third hole, which was the first nearest to the pin. And then every other par 3 after that, as John mentioned... Honestly, the marker was so close to the hole, we had to move it on several occasions so that one of us could actually get it in the hole. I mean, it was just obscene. There could have been been four in ones yesterday. Yeah. Like, easily, on the par threes. But we actually did cheat as well, and I really enjoyed it. So, uh, because it was a charity golf day, you could actually put £20 in the pot, and every member of the team got a mulligan. And that was nice. It was really nice. That was real, You know, and to be honest, to be honest, we all used it very nicely yeah. to the point where we actually managed to gain more points. So in theory, we got 91 points, but it could have been 87.
3: I'm considering cheating more often now because I well, really enjoyed it and I've shot
2: better than I deserved to. So it was quite good. Well, look what cheating gets you. Cheating yeah. gets you 112 points. I'm yeah. sure they would have picked up some pride. I mean, that is... I think... I don't mind, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I would love to be a fly on the wall in that round of golf. For me... That's, that is cheating. You cannot shoot 112 no. points in a best two from four without either. And I don't care if I'm saying this publicly, the handicaps are wrong, yes, which is cheating, one. or you've actually cheated.
4: Well, <laughs> I was I was wondering yeah. this morning if it was just ludicrous gimmies because we didn't play gimmies at all, no. as you
2: shouldn't do. Do you know something else as well? I've got oh. to admit something. I wasn't going to say it on the podcast today. What? There was two things that we didn't do, and it was completely my fault. What? It was preferred lies on the fairway. Great. <gasps> well, and that it, wasn't a
4: problem <laughs> for me until about the back nine. <laughs> yeah.
2: And in the bunkers, you could place it wherever you wanted for within six inches. No, oh, never mind. I actually didn't go in a bunkers, I Didn't. Not today. Did actually, I didn't go in a single bunker. You went in I two, went didn't two, two. Yeah. But like preferred lies on the fairway. <laughs> you know that piece of paper that get fallen out of my pocket? Yeah, that's all the rules on. That's all the local rules. <laughs> oh, <on>. great. <right.
3: laughs> I think what happens with with charity days as good as obviously the art, clearly. A lot of people play that aren't members of golf courses, again, which is fine cause I'm not anymore. But it might be John comes and he's like, You he used to be off 12, not been a member for three years. Oh, put me off 18, lads. And I think that's where the kind of
1: cheating
2: comes well, from. I, I, really. you're not a member of a golf club. You're a four. We're not going to say, you're not going to turn up yesterday and go, oh, yeah, stick me off 15, lads. Well, you know.
4: I, I had this exact conundrum because we've set up a comedian's golf society. And there's about 24 people interested. And the first one we played a couple of weeks ago at Verulam, in St. Albans. And I was in charge of sorting out the handicaps. But out of the 16 people that played, you probably had four with an actual handicap. You had maybe 10 with a decent enough idea of where about they are. And you had 10 who just occasional golfers playing twice a year. So even saying, you know, what was your last gross score they don't know because they were playing match play with a mate or whatever so it's really tricky because you the whole point of a handicap is to make it fair it's to make it fair when people of different abilities play each other but that that can be that can be hard and your temptation is to go oh well what do i usually score that's my handicap but a lot of people don't understand that's not your handicap your handicap you might score two or three times a
2: year but but that's where I'd almost be embarrassed. Let's just say, if the example is, let's say you didn't have a handicap guy and you've not mm-hmm. played golf for two years and you rock up yesterday and said, oh, put me off 12. We would have realized pretty soon on because you were one under through four holes, it would have gone, actually, you know what, lads? I think 12 is a bit too many shots. Mm-hmm. I actually think I actually don't think I'm off 12. I'm actually playing really well and I've not got an official handicap, but I think I'm probably more like playing off six today. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You should, It's embarrassingly bad that they are that good of score i mean it's just anyway i, I if anybody else has as uh i'd love to hear this is a topic for the podcast email send in your email of the most l- ridiculous charity golf score like golf this. day score you've ever heard of and i would love it if one of you are actually a member of that group and if legitimately everything just clicked in place and you hand on heart believe you swear to the day you die that you did have 112 points those cheating sods from yesterday yeah. email in and describe every single freaking golf shot in that round of golf in detail you know it just can't a
3: high score <laughs> i think is possible it would be six points a hole realistically so if two of you get three points each right which is hard that's a hundred and eight points altogether. Well,
4: if you're playing a Stableford comp in your regular club that you play every week, and you score over forty points, you've done well. Yeah. And probably a, a reasonable high for someone whose handicap is under sort of twenty-five, maybe maybe forty-five points on the best day of the yeah, year. Yeah. To have two and a half members of your group both shooting that. Yeah. I just can't just, see it. It's just ridiculous. So, oh, yeah, off the white tees
2: as well. Exactly. Email into podcasts at rickshields.com with your stories about cheating golf day scoundrels. <laughs>
3: and also you can um you can have that as the subject. You can follow the new podcast uh, the new Instagram account we've got, which is the Rickshields Golf Show. And there's a little button on there that just says email, you can click that and you straight through to the email address as well. Do you know we couldn't get verified on that account?
2: Yeah, we tried and failed. Did you? Because apparently one person, one individual can't be verified on two different accounts. Oh, that's so my personal can't be verified and this one be verified. So very
3: kindly they said they're gonna give it to me instead. So we're actually gonna
2: call the podcast now the, the Guy Charnock Golf Show. Yeah. <laughs> just so we can get a blue tick. And we could do that and then just change the name back. Right, <laughs> that's true. Um we've got some questions actually, talking about the podcast. We asked it yesterday on the uh on the story. Um This is a good one. Ross McGill. How do you feel about Guy's man crush for you that's disappeared? So, I don't know if you know this. Oh, yeah. Guy's a super fan. Good. Of your podcast, of of your radio show, of of pretty much everything you do. Um, And this is now the second encounter. And you often get told not to meet your heroes. Yeah. Has your opinion changed much, Guy, of of Mr. John Robbins? Has my opinion of John changed? Yeah.
3: Um, The only thing that has changed is I... I don't know
2: how much longer you can go under the name of bad golf. Yeah, because you hit some unbelievable golf shots yesterday. And you had a string of pars for six holes at the back nine, you were one over par. I don't think that's
4: true, Rick. I think I
2: was I I remember seeing that well, I the, was they, two were, the, they over were the numbers I was putting down on the scorecard
4: anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Another an an the cheats. thing as well,
3: actually that has changed. When I thought of John Robbins, I thought of um like efficiency and being on time. And after yesterday's incident and this morning's incident of going to the wrong hotel. This morning was a shambles Not as just well.
4: going to the wrong hotel. Le- checking out of the hotel we you were in. meeting in. Driving to another hotel 30 minutes <laughs> away. And then driving back. It's been a... I don't know what's happening to me. I'm losing my marbles. Yeah, you were you were but, all over
2: the show today.
4: I mean, you you say about the not being bad golf anymore. A bad golfer. Which I would like to be true. But those first four or five holes yesterday, I was worse than bad. It was embarrassing i I started on the third hole. I actually started to go red from embarrassment, and I think that's another difference that that I've made in my game is I've stopped letting my mood affect the score. yeah, so I was actually saying to myself in my head, "John, calm down, you know how to hit a golf ball. It'll come." And it did. Whereas if we'd been playing that six months ago and I'd had that bad a start, I think the whole day would have been a complete collapse and it would have been incredibly awkward. Um, Something um, Laura Davis said, she said, you can only hit one bad shot at a time. (laughs) And I was like,
2: that's so true. That is actually... Because a lot of the time you compound errors by putting more bad shots onto other bad shots. Well, you, think my,
4: you think my game has gone, whereas actually it hasn't. You've just hit a bad shot. The ball doesn't know what shot you've hit to get it there. That's true. And some of the best shots I've ever hit have been, I mean, every golf will know this. You shank one out of bounds and hit a provisional, and the provisional just <laughs> flies into space and is
2: perfect. There's actually a ball brand come out that have called themselves provisional. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Johnny's asked, who really hits it further, Guy or Rick? Tell us the real truth, John. Well, should we talk about when I convinced Guy
4: to use his driver? Yeah, let's talk about that now. So Guy kept hitting, uh, what was it, three-wood? and a 2 mine and three-wood, yeah, just, just flicking it around. I don't know
2: why, because if you'd listened to last week's podcast where we described the way that Guy played Rick, the week before. Rick, let
4: John speak. <laughs>
2: and I said to Guy... Guy hit his driver, unbelievable. Yesterday, he hit it once.
4: Well... I said to
2: him, Why do you why
4: do you not hit a driver on this hole? And he was like, Oh, I can't hit a driver and I said, Well you can't with that attitude. <laughs> because as soon as you start to pick up a club and go, I can't hit that club. What you know, what a terrible mindset to be approaching yeah. a shot. Well, I can't hit this club, so this is gonna go wrong and yeah, it goes wrong. So I said, Well just hit it. So he did, and you must have hit that three hundred and thirty yards straight. It, it was more
3: that it was more the difference that was past Rick yet again.
4: It was about 25 yards past Rick. But <laughs> yeah. in fairness Rick had just run to get what? his glove and come back. But it was an ex- ex- it was probably the your well certainly your, one of your shots of the day. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was
2: your best drive. Yeah. It was <laughs> your only driver. Um no, he was longer, definitely. It was uh and I must admit that was a pretty fair test on that hole. A bar, what John mentioned, that's my only little tiny excuse that I dropped my glove on the previous hole. And as I teed up on the hole, ready to hit my tee shot, I'd realised I forgot my glove, so I'd, I'd ran all the way back. I mean, it must have been a 150 meter sprint or something. And I came back onto the tee and Guy was look, stood there like a Cheshire cat, grinning because I knew he'd hit a good tee shot because I heard the the roars and the oohs and the ars coming from Rob and John on the tee. So I'm thinking, put the hell, he's hit a good driver shot here. I come back on the tee and I'll, I'll be honest, I hit one well. I hit it nicely. Walking down there, I'm smack bang in the middle of the fairway. Couldn't have hit it much better. And you're right, Guy was longer. I think 25 is a bit of a stretch. I think 25 I think yards is a bit of a stretch. It was actually 25, but anyway. But it was longer definitely and uh, he was in he was in a, straight in the middle of the fairway. So yeah, absolutely with driver you are longer. Rick's longer with irons I'll caveat that.
4: You but I've also that. I've stopped I sort of completely stopped caring about distance. Really,
2: I mean, it's, no, apart it's from still quite a big thing to be honest,
4: uh, but apart from knowing the distance, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it
2: is an, a bit of an ego thing, um,
3: but, sh- it, but it is, and this is something we joke about. We don't talk about strokes gained a lot because I don't massively understand it, but that hole though, so I, I did hit a probably as good a drive as I can hit. I then hit a horrendous 54 degree wedge that I actually was disgusted with, but I put it to 15 foot yeah. because it was a wedge. If yeah. I'd have been a-tying and hit the same standard of shot i probably missed the green so it kind of shows that if you can hit it far you can then hit bad shots but still have birdie chances yeah.
2: I, and I I pretty much did that all day yesterday like I hit driver really really nice today to be honest I was hitting it really well off the tee and I hit my, to be honest, I hit my wedges and my irons pretty poorly for me. But there, was, there wasn't many times I missed the green Like mm. The first hole, like a horrendous wedge, and it still hit the green. The second hole, I nearly drove the green, hit a terrible little chip, to be honest, but still hit it fairly close.
4: My understanding of strokes gained from someone who's not very good at golf is that it's one of those areas where they're taking statistics from pros and trying to apply it to, yeah, to amateurs and true. average golfers. And you'll drive yourself mad trying to compare yourself to to pros. It works for pros, of course it does, because if they hit a 280-yard, 290-yard drive, chances are it's going straight. If you've got someone who's playing off 24 who maybe hits one in three drives onto a fairway, they'd be much better hitting a hybrid or even, you know, like a five iron. If it goes straight, it, keeping the ball in play I, is, I would say, more important for someone of my level than, you know... Making sure you're hitting a 52 rather than a 9-iron nine nine right, into the green, it, right.
2: Well, it goes back to our original video that we did. Me hitting seven iron just plodding it down there because I knew it was going to be somewhere straight. I know my if I hit seven iron all the way around, I reckon I could put a pretty decent. Um, I, I'm never going to shoot over 85. Yeah, let's say for example, you
3: don't get enough trouble to do. I, so can, like. I just
2: can't. Like I can't literally, unless I uh, I can't reach over a par three or something. Technically, I shouldn't be able to uh, shoot that high of a score um well i would say the one the one memory i have of that round when I
4: first broke 90 that round of 84 which is it's on a par 69 so it's 15 over i didn't hit amazing shots but i never felt i was hitting a shot i couldn't hit and i never felt out of control of the hole and i think that's a big thing that say say you're a classic thing i used to do would i'd hit it right into some sort of semi-rough and the green's 190 yards away. And I think, well, you can make up for that because you get your hybrid, you can hit your hybrid at 190 yards. And I'd end up topping it further into the rough. That shot is not a shot I'm capable of hitting out of rough. It's Even off the fairway, it's probably a one in five shot. So just only playing shots, I have memories of hitting well, which is usually, you know, six iron, nine iron, whatever, laying up every so often. Made an enormous difference, not just to the score, but to my my mental state on the round, because I was never trying to get out of trouble. And even if you even if you top a seven nine a hundred
2: yards down the middle of the fairway, that's fine. Yeah, you put it in play. Um, we're going to answer more questions. I just want to give one shout out to Rob Potter for his phenomenal eagle on sixteen. It was literally a tapping eagle. That was that was. Really we thought good. he'd gone in. Honestly, he hit driver, slight dogleg up the hill, right to left. hit a great tee shot. With with a weird old R7 Taylor May driver that he's got in the bag at the moment. Yeah,
3: he's getting his Cobra um, F9 fixed. Apparently, something right. cosmetically was wrong with it. Cobra said they'll fix it. So, we've got an R7 in the back.
2: So, he uh, yeah, great, and then he, he was 200 odd yards out, hit a hybrid absolutely, he was screaming for the top of his voices for the for the ball to get up on the green. It landed front edge, rolled up to literally two foot. You can watch the video of, my, of his eagle put on my Twitter feed. Tapped it in for eagle, did a slightly cringy eagle um, celebration, but uh, phenomenal. That was his class eagle. I thought I'd mention that while Rob's probably halfway through his fat walk at the Do moment. Do you want to hear this week's nightmare golf hole?
3: And it's a, not a conventional one, It resonates to me because it would be my nightmare. Okay. Okay. So it's from Sean Dooley, and he started the email with Hello Guy and Rick. And just so you know, John, and listeners know, if you start your email with Hello Guy and Rick, there's a good chance you're going to get your email read out. Because Guy guy manages the email. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So he says, massive fan here from Florida, um, Bubba Watson territory. And also he happens to be a lefty. So he's like you, John, he's a fellow lefty. He follows the podcast on all the platforms and he recently bought some M2 irons based off Rick's review back in 2017 Um, this story is of a bittersweet hole in one I was playing by myself around 6pm in Virginia while on vacation with my wife and daughter, I was on the 11th hole which is 150 yards out to the pin which is a nice smooth A time for me, I couldn't really see the pin as the sun was starting to set and the pin was blinding to look at I had a nice, smooth swing and hit the ball with great contact. I lost the flight of the ball in the sun, but thought it would be well past the green, as I believe I struck it too well, which happens to be one of the downside effects that ricks of the M2 irons. Sometimes you hit them and they almost go too far. I got up to the green and was looking all around the surrounding areas, the bunkers, the rough, couldn't find the ball. I thought to myself that surely there was no way it went in. My heart skipped a beat as I walked up to the hole to my beautiful Pro V1 in the hole. I was absolutely beside myself and immediately looked around to see if there were any witnesses to my luck. There were none. I normally play with three or four friends every week back home in Florida. And of course, this one time I hit a hole in one was the one few times I've ever played on my own. I, of course, told all mates about the story, and they tend to joke about me um, when we're on every par three, saying, so, you know, Oh, come on, you normally get a hole in ones on par threes, let's see how it's done, etc. <laughs> it is amazing that I actually hit a hole in one, um, and I know that I did it, but having to say it when you're, you have to do it when you're on your own is a really bittersweet accomplishment. Hope this email finds you both well, and recommend not to go on any par threes by yourself because you never know you might get a bit of sweet hole in one.
4: We I, we got an email to our radio show about a bit of sweet hole in one, and was it on their own again? Uh, no, did I mention this last time I was on the show? I don't think I don't so. believe so. so this guy playing, he's playing with mates, and as you do on um on the, the the par four or five before, looking in the rough for his ball, he found a few balls, a few like decent new ones, so he put them in his bag. Next hole is a par three. So he tees up one of the new balls, thinking, what's well, it's a better nick than the one I've been playing with. Gets a hole in one. They go crazy. Goes down to the pin, picks the ball out, sort of holds the ball up, realises it's one of those illegal go-straight balls.
2: No his, way. His what? mates
4: don't know this, so it's a secret he's had to this day. That his legendary hole in one was actually played with an illegal
2: ball he'd found on the previous oh, hole. That is so good. I mean, my question is, why did someone lose it on the hole previous? <laughs> if it's a straight ball, why did it not go straight? But that's crazy. Because oh, we word. we reviewed that. Yeah, ball. I saw that video. I mean, it sold out in like minutes after we reviewed it, because it's got, like three or three million views or something stupid now. But the fact he had a hole in one with one.
3: That's crazy. But what I like with, with that story, but with this story as well is that like I've done that before. I've been on, on the course on my own. I've not played on my own for ages, but I used to play as a junior quite regularly on my own. actually quite enjoyed it. But you'd hit a good iron shot on a par three, and it would almost be a case of don't go in, don't go in. Because there's something about being with people and celebrating a hole-in-one. And although people would, I'm sure, would believe you, but that would be horrible.
2: Yeah, you'd ha- You'd have to... I've seen it a few times on social media now, where they've got the phone and literally filmed from the tee all the way to the hole. Yeah, and, it's and like it, the same. But like, it's been weird actually. Recently, when you and me played last week, yeah. I was super close on seven. Yeah, I just did a video that's coming out this week actually on seven again. I was un, almost, arguably, even closer to a hole in one. But because we didn't have the main camera, we were just shooting on phone. It didn't. We didn't have the proper zoom in and everything. For me, if I get one now, I have to have it literally perfect. I want it on video. I want it. I want the drone up. I want Shot Tracer there. I want it to be zoomed in. I want it to be the first shot, obviously, because it has to be to be a legit holding one. And there's a, been a few occasions last few weeks, months, where I've been getting close. I'm sure it, it'll fizzle out. But I feel like I, if I got one without it being proper videoed now, I'd be gutted. Because the, the, I've only had one. Really? And for me, luckily even though it wasn't videoed, because it was only three years ago, it wasn't on video, there was about 50 people around the hole, because I did it in open qualifying, and it was like, it was it was phenomenal. So the the story Rob said yesterday on one of the holes, he was there watching it, and he he was at the front of the hole, front of the tee box at West Lanks and I got it in, threw my club up in the air, proper Hollywood style. He tried to run through these brambles, and all I remember from this hole in one is seeing Rob's little head stuck in these brambles because he tried to run to the tee to celebrate. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it's uh, I, having one on your own must be like a weird thing to experience. Sure. I'd rather have one on my own than not have one. So, moving nicely on to our next topic, because you've just recently joined a golf club. Mm. And someone's asked, actually, what's it been like to join a golf club? So, fill us in with what it's been like, because someone new coming into golf, it's sometimes a bit of a daunting experience, right?
4: Yeah. And the course I've joined is one I, I knew really well because it's where I've had lessons and. Um, you know, I use the practice facilities there. So you, I think you get a vibe off a golf course quite quickly. Mm. Like I've been to a few where I've just thought, this isn't for me. And I think golf clubs are going through a transition at the minute where they're realizing that they have to appeal to younger people. They have to appeal to women. Um the, So the club I've joined is like a very sort of family-orientated. The members are very friendly. It's great having the opportunity to play as often as I want, not just because I've only joined on a flexible membership. So it's one of those ones where, which are getting more common now, where you pay, I think I paid like 400 quid for 400 credits and I can use them throughout the year. And it's more to play on a Saturday morning. Than That's it's to the play future, on a Monday. Yeah, 100%. I, totally.
2: I've seen that before, actually.
4: And there's no like stigma that I'm, it's not like I'm not a proper member. I'm treated just the same as anyone else everyone's really friendly
2: with sort of helping you out they got whatsapp groups and that sort of thing so you almost have like an allocation of time yeah. on the golf course and some some tea times are more mm-hmm. valuable let's say might, yeah. it might cost you three points to play on a weekend where it might take a one point on a tuesday morning for example yeah. is that how it works
4: yeah and they said to me that a couple of the guys on the committees they were like look, why have you joined? Is it just to get cheaper golf? Is it to get more lessons? Is it to get involved with the society? Is it to play in competitions? Is it? And I said, look, I just want to play as often as I can and get a handicap and get better.
2: Do you want to play in competitions? I have played in
4: some competitions. Have you found it? The only thing that's tricky, and I can totally understand their reasons for doing this, there are a lot of rules about uh, how many competitions you have to play in before you can compete or win one how many um, certain sort of criteria for getting your handicap. And the reason is because a few idiots spoil it by inflating their handicap to try.
0: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which
4: get on the honors board and i can totally understand that but it does it it's it does make you feel as a new member a lot of what you're being told is what you can't do as opposed to what you can do but it's just a shame that people like at that charity competition you know someone hands in three cards and they get a 20 handicap and then they play in their first competition they get 47 Stableford, and i their don't name get on the board. that i understand
3: why because they want to win but why would you want to win knowing that no. you've? Because it's not even like, say it was a gross tournament and you actually cheated to shoot a lower gross than somebody else. I kind of, not that I condone it, but I get it because you want to win. But why do you want to win knowing
4: it a false handicap? Basically, it just, it's just a it, maths
3: it, it would make me feel like different.
4: embarrassed. It's like. I think it's just like a certain type of personality that can compartmentalise that sort of thing and go, oh, I won. There's my name. Like apparently, Donald Trump, whenever he opens a golf course, he plays on the first day and he calls it the opening tournament, and he wins. So he claims to have won, like, 50 golf competitions. Yeah.
3: You know what? I might get a bit of flack for saying this, but I honestly think if you grew up playing golf, typically you are more honest to sport. If you think about it, if you play football at a decent level and you kick the ball out for, and it would be thrown into the team, as a player, you still claim it was the opposition player, do you know what I mean? Or you get fouled and you play like you've been really hurt or whatever. And I think those people that come into golf, as well as we want as many people to play golf as possible, we welcome them with open arms. I think there's a little bit of that sometimes, not saying to that level, but from other sports, it's almost that like kind of not quite as Do honest. anything to little win. A little bit, yeah, I'll be honest. Because some of my friends have come from a a, um, a football background to golf, and that's amazing. I'm, I'm so happy that they play golf. But there's still a little bit of that, like, I wouldn't say cheating, but massively bend the rules to your advantage, yeah. which I don't think you get from people that have played golf for time. Well, look
2: at, look at even, sorry, just quick, just like recently, was it Rory McIlroy? He, he, he dropped it in the rough or something. And he got a better lie than he should have done, and he actually chose to re-drop it to get a more similar lie than, a worse lie. And obviously, he was celebrated for that, rightly so, because that's, that's in honour of the game. And I think you don't get that in many other sports. And a lot of these tour athletes have been around for so many years playing from such a young age. I mean, there's there's one exception on tour that seems to... Get the flack for bending a lot of the rules, but mm. um, yeah, it's a weird one. Into I, I, I can never quite understand it. The only time you, I, in my opinion, you, th- you should get a, a player who shoots an exceptional score is like an up-and-coming junior mm. who has worked his socks off for or his or her socks off for six months or six weeks, or whatever, in the school holidays. Everything's clicked, and you do see ridiculous scores from good golfer, good junior golfers.
4: And I think the whole point of me getting a handicap and really putting time and thought into it. it's because I want to know how good I am and I want to know if I'm getting better or if I'm getting worse. So the idea of having a handicap that didn't reflect where I'm at. Yeah. Is it's totally counter it's it's a waste of time. Yeah. Because you know I'm off 19 now. The if I shot my absolute best ever round, I might finish 2 or 3 under that, maybe 4 under that, so the maximum I might make like 40 points. And I'd be well chuffed with that. I'm not thinking, oh, well, if, I, if they'd given me 24, then that would be 50 points. You know, its I'd, I don't really see the point in it. But golf is one of those things where I think your attitude to it as a sport determines how likely you are to sort of bend those 100%. rules. And
2: I wonder if it'll change much with the world handicap system. Actually, that might change things a little bit as well because it's more of an average of your scores potentially. Mm. And it seems like a lot of the handicaps are maybe potentially netting down as opposed to kind of working up. Um so yeah, so you've enjoyed it so far. You've enjoyed yeah, being. And what, what's the goal it. for? Let's not say this year because obviously this year has been a bit of a weird one. But let's say let's say we meet up in November 2021. The world hopefully has become a, a more normal place again. What would you love to say your
4: handicap is? In in total honesty, because I have to be true to the goal I set myself, just to play off 18, and that's still the goal.
2: Yeah, but come on, John. That's like, that's
4: next week's goal. That's not... I, I know, and hopefully I'll achieve it, but what I don't want... I I want to play golf for pleasure. It gives me a huge amount of pleasure. I get excited when... Like yesterday, I woke up in the morning. I I had to drive three and a half hours. I did, couldn't care less. I was so excited about playing. And I want to keep that. I I don't want to be in a position where if I, you know, if I have one blob on uh, and a account, the whole day's ruined and... I don't want to be back in that place where I'm beating myself up for bad shots because I'm I'm never I'm always going to be inconsistent because I didn't play golf as, as a kid and I don't have like a natural swing. It's definitely something I've had to work on. So if honestly, if I could play bogey golf for the rest of my life, I'd be so happy with that. I will always want a par to be a real achievement. I never want to be disappointed about getting a par. So I'd love to have that as a goal and come back in a year's time and say I'm off fifteen. But I, I'm I I just always want it to be like something that gives to me and something that relaxes me, something that gives me some great social occasions. I never want it to be me going, oh God, just I, I should be off twelve, I should be off twelve, but I'm not Rick. What am I doing wrong?
2: Yeah, I'm to ask. We're going to do something again this time, November next year, and we'll we'll I'll ask the same question because I think. I think where you are now, in your mind, that makes sense. I, I'd be interested to see if that mindset well, changes. Quick question
3: for you, I know it's hard, hard to answer, but you may have some stats at hand. Roughly, <laughs> when you play, how many pars you normally get, roughly?
4: On a good day, I'll maybe get five.
3: So you get if, you, if you're if you getting five pars and the remainder of Bogey Golf, you're shooting 13 over, obviously, but you know you're going to have some bad holes that might be doubles or whatever. Yeah. So once those bad holes start to become less bad, which they will with improvement in time, those five pars, as long as you get your 13 bogeys, you've, you've shot 13 over so, so that's what I'm trying to get to, is I think what we don't really often expect with golf, but it's what happened is your great shots might not improve much in the next year, they don't need, need to improve much but it's, it's making your bad shots better
4: Well I've already, like if I look back at my scorecards of the last month and a half, the amount of eights and nines that are gone that's massive Yeah, my, that that um. I've I've shot. I've I've broken ninety with two triple bogeys.
2: Yeah, (laughs) which isn't easy. (laughs) Yeah, you've got the capabilities, but you you will have there'll be there'll be a round not in the distant future where things will really click for you. You'll suddenly put a fourteen over in. Rightly so, because you've got the ability to shoot that. There's probably a lot of eighteen, nineteen handicappers have, but I think you're on the on the correct track. Your your game is trending in the in the sense that you are improving every time, single time you go out and play and practice. I would say
4: the the whole point of that like spreadsheet I made with where I'm losing shots. You have to know what part of your game is is weak, mm-hmm. because for me at the minute it's every, it's fifty yards and in. So the point of me going to a driving range and me hit, hitting seven <laughs> hitting seven irons and drivers there's there's not really much point if every time I go I force myself to go on the putting green force myself to do some chipping because I know that's where I'm losing probably ten shots around. Follow up question,
2: and again it, I just I like hearing it from a from your perspective because you're very good at being able to. Um, summarize and explain it and obviously you're coming in from this kind of bad golfer angle you recently went for a fitting right yeah how was that it was really great fun it
4: felt like it felt like a real treat a real day out so it was a cobra fitting at Silvermere,
2: which we will caveat and only because i'm sure we'll get you are looked after by cobra
4: yeah they sort out our sort of clubs and our
2: our clothing for the channel which is incredibly kind of them um so so like i say that i'm sure you they were i'm sure they would be anyway but they were very nice to you but the fitting experience itself how did you how did you find it it's very when when
4: your swing is inconsistent by nature if you're sort of playing off maybe 18 or 20 or above you worry that when you're getting all this sort of these contraptions out (laughs) and the little like Launch monitors. Launch monitors and, and the little thing you hit off to show where you impact. The lie board. You're like, well, what swing are they actually recording? Because it could be any of the six or seven different swings I have. But I think most of my stuff was like pretty regular. The one thing that I've got is graphite shafts, which is not like I wasn't expecting to get. It's not something I asked for. But I just tried out um, graphite versus the regular steel shafts. And it just felt like I could swing slower and and it felt a bit more like I knew where the club head was, yeah, um, and since I've slowed the swing down, I've really enjoyed them now next year, if my swing's a bit faster, maybe I'll change back to steel, but I didn't feel any like because I'm not particularly immersed in golf, I didn't feel like oh, is, am I getting a senior's flex or what? I didn't really care. It just felt nice. You'll, you'll see that more though now over the last
3: three or four years and certainly ongoing that you'll get more golfers in graphite in the irons because the, the quality of the graphite now is, is so good that you, you, you used to lose a lot of... With the graphite shaft in your irons, it was lighter, which was a benefit it helped get people to get more clubhead speed. But they're often a lot, like a lot less stable. And therefore potentially less consistent to some regard. Whereas now the the quality of graphite you can get is
2: so good. Quite a, quite a while ago, graphite was unbelievably popular. Like it almost it, it was like the trendy it's, thing to have. It's
3: very big in Germany. In yeah, in Europe. Yeah. Germany, if you have, I went again in my old job, which I talk about a lot, but in my old job I went to a massive German golf store called Golf House. Um and the ad the iron walls, and it was literally like fifty percent graphite, fifty percent steel for irons. It's wow. really, really big over there. Is
2: graphite still more expensive than steel?
3: Yeah, you're normally looking at about twenty, thirty pound a club more. So for wow. eight
4: irons, it's what two hundred quid more, roughly.
2: Be quite a cool video to do. Yeah, potentially. There's one definitely some benefits to graphite.
4: One thing I've done, which I actually texted Guy about, is so my my fade. I, I sort of my natural shot is a fade to a slice, off the drive and off the irons. And I was starting to slice it a lot off the off the tee. So I spoke to my coach, and he said, You shaft's too long. Just put a three wood shaft on. Driver shafts are getting far too long." Um, I'm I'm everyone I'm fitting I'm fitting with a three which length shaft on the driver. So I texted guy, and like every golfer at my level, the first thing I thought was what bit of kick can I get to solve this problem? Whereas yeah. actually, how can I
2: buy my way out yeah, of this? What I
4: needed to what I did was I looked at your recent video, five tips to stop a slice, went to the range with that video, my headphones in every single element of that video worked. Great. Um, <laughs> like it, it and worked immediately. Now, it's taken me a while to do it naturally without thinking about it, but when I think about it, that works. However, I've got a shorter shaft coming on the way. But even the shorter shaft, even an inch shorter than the standard um, shaft length, is still longer than drivers were 20 years ago. Massively, yeah. So I think it'll be... 44 and a half inches as opposed to 45 and a half inches. Does that sound right?
3: Yeah, it will do. 45 and a half inches is too long. And also, you'll notice if you do have a slice, the longer shaft you have, the more that will promote a heel strike as well.
4: Actually, it's going to be 44 and a half, not 45, and a half. 45 Yeah, so so it's an inch shorter. The standard one is 55. I'm getting 44 and a half. And, and most tall players, it's the 43 and a half.
2: It's still amazing to me how many people slice the golf ball. If I'm dead on this, mm-hmm. like, it's me. I honestly think I could fix any slice in the world. And that, it proves like that, that video that we did, I think I said 1.4 million views or something stupid in not that long a time. I've just really recently put a, a hook video on. Like, the percentage of views compared to the slice one is, like, tiny. Like, it must be, like, 20% to 80%. Mm-hmm. Eighty percent of golf bad shots are slices, mm. which is crazy.
3: I think as well, though. Obviously, massively, it does come down to technique, obviously. And like you said, you watching that video of Rick helped you to essentially sort of cure yours. But part of it with drivers comes to drivers being too long. The longer the shaft is in your golf club, the more it's going to promote a heel strike.
4: And with a driver, a heel strike with modern drives is a massive yeah. fade. Which and- I think it's going to be an interesting time in the next ten years with golf clubs, golf club manufacturing, because lofts are getting. Um, harder. Stronger with irons. Yeah, driver shafts are getting longer even though pros don't even play with drivers that long. But some brands have recently started to dial their lofts back a bit, haven't they? Yeah. Because you can't you can't keep going like this forever. It's It's been the devil, if you like, of launch monitors basically.
3: So again, when I used to fit golfers, the big thing that people want no, no matter what they say, ultimately people want more distance, 9 times out of 10. So if they've got a 5 year old driver Technology in driver heads, regardless of what brands say, hasn't changed that much in the last five years. So if, if player A comes with a 44-inch driver and I give him a 45 and a half inch driver, he might be a lot more inconsistent with it. But if he gets three shots out of his 50 that go an extra 20 yards, that's what they remember, and ultimately that's what they want to buy. And it, it sounds bad, but it's true. Well, Distance I must admit,
2: sells. it's taken me seven years, hundreds and hundreds of product testing, only to recently realise that... the. Mm. I'm, you know, I don't actually, I don't need a driver to for distance. Like it's taken me that long. Yeah. So anybody else who's just literally going for a fitting, they just want distance, and I get it. It's now become more about for me certainly with a driver is a driver that I feel comfortable with, a, a stable driver, one that okay I can get distance out of, but distance isn't the number one priority for it um but yeah no it's, i wanted to ask that question so i think a lot of people get worried about fittings and I, and, and i get it because if i was to throw myself in a new world i mean it sounds we, we used to talk about this a lot on the podcast when, when we went for that dart shop that time yeah, yeah. like it's only down the road from here actually but if i went for a darts fitting i'd be a nervous wreck i'd feel no. like i'd missed the board well he's asking us questions isn't he what um because there's
3: the John no there's the barrel isn't there What's the next bit goal? Then you've got the flight and that middle bit. Oh, what's the middle bit even called? Stem? stem. Shaft. Shaft or stemware.
2: <laughs> is it actually shaft? Yeah.
3: And like the guy <laughs> so in the imagine
2: shop. It, imagine, sorry, just a quick, imagine somebody who's dead into goal, uh, dead and into darts and we, and we said, so what's the stem on this? Yeah. <laughs> what's the stem on this stick? What flex <laughs> is your stem? But like,
3: <laughs> he asked us these questions, what weight do you want? He's like, I, I have no idea. And no. then you can have different tips of the actual bit that what's the even bit that goes on the board called just the, the pointy bit. Spiky it's bit. That, what even, <laughs> what's that even
2: called? I don't know. Um,
3: but even that, you get different lengths off, can't you? I think, and also, yeah. and it's like,
2: it's, and it's, thicknesses, and yeah, like, it's, it's literally light. like walking into a golf shop and having no idea. And they're going, "So, what weight do you want in your uh, three wood? Well, what, what loft do you want in your three wood? An and even, what talk? but they're
4: not. The, the the thing I would say to people is, they're not expecting you to come with that knowledge. They're 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 expecting you mm. to come with. I wouldn't say that's all fitters, really. Yeah. Well, my my experience was that they just wanted me to hit shots. A bit like when you go for a lesson and the the instructor will go, just hit hit me five or six seven nines, warm up, and they'll start to sort of get a picture of your swing. And I and I would say that I'm never one to say people should throw money at a problem, but if you are going to spend money on golf, it should be on lessons and then getting fitted. If you're gonna if you're gonna spend a grand or more on a set of clubs, you you might as well spend the extra I don't know how much it is extra 100 quid 150 quid to get fit or you might get free fitting
2: with oh god yeah absolutely most most places now fittings I don't mind I'm saying I don't mind paying for fitting I actually think paying for fitting you get a better service personally because again you're not I think sometimes when it's a free fitting there's no incentive for the fitter and I think sometimes then you get led down a path that's about getting you into a set that's that's worth more so that fitter either gets a cut back or if they're selling it i think if you pay for a fitter even if that fitter said you know what actually your clubs are better for you than the ones i can give you he's already made his money i personally think paying for a fitting is never a bad idea
3: you know what's mad i was just thinking then about golf clubs right imagine being a completely new golfer right and i say this is a set of golf clubs in a bag and they look at them you go this one's your driver okay Got a number ten on it and a degree sign. Okay, right. Okay, that's driver. This is a three wood. Got number three on it. Okay, this is your five wood. Right, it's got a five on it. This is your four hybrid. Okay, this is a five iron. Then you get to say, this is a PW, an SW, put it. Like, this is a putter. Like, there's no six, logic to any of it, is, is there? This is a 60-degree yeah. club. Now you go, yeah, exactly. Now you go back to degrees again. Like, why is your longest iron? Why is there no one iron or two? Well, there was years ago. But it, it is a minefield, isn't it? The driver's not called a one wood anymore. Why are they called woods the metal yeah. now? Like, it is
2: actually just, there's quite a lot in it. Think, well, imagine, again, if you went to that dart shop and he said, okay, these are the feathers. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, but they're not made out of feathers. I know, I know sorry, but yeah. they used to be made out of feathers. Yeah. <laughs> All right, okay. So why are they still call feathers, oh, it's a long story, but anyway, these are your feathers. These are the these are the weighted feathers. These are the lighter feathers. This is your one feather. <laughs> like I don't do, do we, just use fittings. You need a hybrid,
3: No, you need a rescue. Yeah. What about utility wood? <laughs>
4: Often I think it's quite useful to get an idea of whether you need a need a fitting from a lesson because you're if someone's coaching you, they have no interest in saying you need to be spending loads of money on new clubs. They're more likely to go you can fix it by changing this part of your stance or or your follow through or whatever. That's the problem, but it is so difficult not to be tempted to go. Yeah, I've got a I've got a bit of a hook on my iron, so I need a new set of clubs. You, you don't need a new set of clubs.
2: When I was coaching full time and and I would massively steer people away from getting fit clubs because I wanted I wanted the money for coaching. <laughs> I did honestly. <laughs> that's truthful. Like if he if the golf coming to me, said, I've got a grand to spend on on everything. I'd be like. Okay so you need maybe 950 pound with me and 50 pound on some balls or something like mm. I, I but again if if you've got it's just a it's a it is a bit of a minefield cuz you have got so many different compartments like say a, a, a lesson that's only a lesson that's all you get a lesson who also sells clubs a, le, a a club fitter you've got a shop with a free fitting it is it's hard and sometimes the fitter doesn't quite Understand the golfer's intelligence, golf intelligence. What we were talking about before about how you've improved your golf intelligence in lockdown. Sometimes, really good golfers don't have that good of golf intelligence. Well, like this is the
4: thing that kind of drives me nuts, and I probably mentioned it the last time I was on, but one hundred percent of the time you are getting taught how to swing a golf club, you are not getting taught how to play golf. I am convinced that I, just with my understanding of of researching and reading and watching a lot of videos about course management and the mentality of golf i'm sure if i caddied for someone much better than me i could get get them to go around in a few less shots because you can sit on a well you can stand hopefully if you're doing it right on a range mat for 100 years but that doesn't that doesn't tell you how to approach around a round of golf and it also doesn't tell you how to be in charge of your own attitude and I think so many people expect far too much of themselves on a golf course, and when it doesn't happen, that then leads to to the sc- the
2: score getting higher and higher and higher. I think, the, and we you did talk about that last time. And I think the challenge is again, it's it's from a business sense, from a golf coach that doesn't makes that doesn't work for him because it's done in a driving range, Matt, with ten students walking to you, teaching for for an hour each and off the go, they can make money. When as soon as you've got to get out on the golf course, like. We've got to go out on the golf course for two hours minimum. Mm. That costs you a lot of money. It costs me a lot of time. There's weather implications. And actually, in that two hours, yes, you hit shots, but not that many shots. Like, it's a lot it, of it is walking to, it, the, to the shots. But I can
4: hit lots of shots repeatedly on my own. Yeah. But the experience of playing off grass, the experience of knowing what I can and can't do at my level... So you know, if my if my drive's gone short, like I said, two hundred yards of the pin, no way is that a shot I can take on. Hitting a three wood, you might go and get fitted for clubs. You might have a three wood, start trying to hit that off the fairway. That's one of the most difficult shots in golf. That's not a shot I would ever attempt. But what, no one's told you not to because you can you've you've been able to hit it a few times in the range. So it's about sort of like percentage golf and about really sort of each hole having its own little narrative that you shape and it's not just trying to hit four or five perfect shots and going crazy at yourself when they go wrong.
3: It is quite strange when you think about it that the vast majority of golf lessons and golf fittings are undertaken in an environment that is completely different to a golf course.
4: It's the only sport in the world you don't practice on the surface you play on. It's mad isn't it?
2: We had well, we, I'd say we because it was we in the end. I had a fitting with a brand that's bringing out some new drivers soon, and Guy jumped on for a bit of a fitting as well, a bit of a hit. That was such a better experience yeah. on a whole. Yeah, it was. But it's not possible. Like, we are very privileged that we did it where we did it.
3: Not the average consumer, is it? It's just
2: impossible. Not... Like, we, I, that that was the first time there was a lot, there was we had two launch monitors there, but I was genuinely hitting golf shots and go, I actually don't care what the launch monitors are saying on mm-hmm. that golf shot, that's a perfect shot. Down that hole, I don't hit it any better than that. It's the right flight. I know it's not going to go left. I don't care if the launch monitor tells me that's five yards further than my own driver or mm. five yards. It doesn't matter. That shot is perfect, in my opinion.
4: But what what you could do is say to your coach or your local pro or whatever, especially in summer, say, look, what what time's the last tee? It's usually around 5.30, 6 o'clock. Can we just jump on the first hole at 10 past 6 and I want to hit... A few drives. I want to hit a few shots off the fairway. I want to chip. I want to putt. All just an hour's lesson. You don't have to worry about sort of people behind you. I think that I think that's as useful as a couple of hours on a on a range map. The
2: perfect scenario, if I was to build a golf school, build, I would literally build a three-hole golf course, which was a loop, mm-hmm. a par four, a par three, and a par five, with different teeing stations, and in an hour. We could play three holes, three different locations, and you would see vast improvement very quickly because then it's still manageable. We jump in a buggy, we play three holes, a loop, let's say different conditions, whatever it may be. And for the pro, it still is a business sense. It still makes sense. you don't have to charge a million dollars to, to make this work. you have to pay a million dollars to build a facility like that but then also you can have that repeat 10 and if it was indoor even better because then you could do it all the time through the night and whatever but yeah you're right i don't think there is a well there isn't at the moment a perfect scenario i think in the states they've probably got it better than we have it over here in the uk which is again something i touched on last podcast they do have it better but if you can get a loop of holes where two three holes whatever it may be where you can actually see a difference um, that that's that's massive, isn't it?
4: Yeah. And also one thing that um, Kyle, my pro, said to me, I was struggling with bunkers. And he said, well, the problem with practicing areas of your game, like bunkers, well, especially bunkers, you can have a lesson with me and you'll think, well, I've solved that. It could be six months till you're in your next bunker.
2: Yeah, or the bunker stand
4: will be different. It'll so, be wet, it'll be dry. So, how the on earth? lip will be bigger. Are you meant to remember a lesson six months ago? So, he said, just every time you get 50 range balls, just keep four of them and just every time just hit four bunker shots. That way, whenever you find yourself in a bunker, you're not going to be panicking.
2: Because what I used to do is think, right, got that ticked off, no, I'd hit that shot. Six months later, what am I doing here? Well this is, this is ones. the golf course in the Lakes called Windermere. There's no bunkers on the golf course. Zero bunkers, yet they have a practice bunker for the members.
4: <laughs> well the, I played Berkhamstead, which has got no bunkers. Oh really? And it's such a great course, really challenging.
2: I've never played a course with no bunkers.
4: I think you would love Berkhamstead golf course. It because instead of bunkers, they have like little sort of mounds and hills and gorse and it, it, it you, you'll you play every short game shot in
2: your locker. See, that's why I, I would hate it. Really? I love bunkers. I love them because I can play bunker shots pretty, yeah. pretty sufficiently. And, and often, a bit like what you see out on tour, and I'm not comparing myself to those boys at all, if you're in a nice bunker, you've got a perfect lie – Like I have no worries about getting it close to the hole pretty much where if it was runoff areas or undulations or, you know, where you've got a chip, I'm just not as good. You know, Royal Royal Rhythm, which isn't far from here, they took out of the golf course something like, and I don't want to quote this wrong, but something like 70 bunkers off the golf course, right? And the reason being, it, it did both things. Bunkers for the average golfer round there were a nightmare, like, if you went in the book, I mean the massive proper pot bunkers, yeah. right? So as an average golfer, you'd go in there and it just wouldn't be fun because you couldn't get up and down, you couldn't get out the thing. Like they're hard. The pros when they play the Open there love the bunkers; it's not a problem for them. Like they they're often, most of the time, if I'm honest, if they want to miss, they probably want to miss in a bunker mm. because again, it's a perfect lie. So they took all these bunkers out. Therefore, for the average golfer, they love it. Because they can chip onto the green and put it close or put or whatever, you know, they don't they don't take three shots out of a bunker. The pros don't like it as much because they don't they aren't guaranteed a perfect lie like they would have been in a bunker. So it's really it's it is very different how you would perceive bunkers. I've so I've never been scared of them personally, but I understand when you see an amateur in there and, they, and they're struggling with it and taking three or four out of a bunker, they're not going to do that if they're just chipping off the side of the green you know well i think
4: one of the hardest things for an average to high handicapper is convincing your body to hit the ball harder than the distance it's going to go correct it's daunting isn't it because if it goes wrong and that's why you ca- that's why you cancel on shots that's why you pull out of them that's why you don't commit because you think how am i hitting this at full distance to go 25 yards yeah. and i still really struggle with that do you like bunkers guy i do um my old golf
3: club, where I was a member from being like eight years old to 24 years old, they built a, a, a bunker on the side of the Chipping Green, probably when I was about 12, 13 maybe. And at that age, anything new in the practice area was like, unbel- it was oh, it was ridiculous. So weird, the only thing that was a bit silly with it was it had a really deep, probably about five foot lip, but like, like a Lynx course. But then none of the bunkers on that course were like that. But the benefit was, I spent hours in there. I'd literally pour a full practice bag in. It was so good. You just go against a friend, alternate shot, and just have little comps and stuff. And from that day, I'm not saying the best bunker player in the world, but considering how little I play golf, really, bunkers do not scare me at all. I open the face, it's flat to the floor. Aim left. I know it's a more modern way possibly now. Aim left, face flat, hands a little bit low, hit it hard. And I, I find that I've kind of... I've not lost it because I've never really had it but I'm
2: decent you almost have natural gauge yeah when you're a good player out of bunker like I never think I have to swing this hard to hit yeah. that shot out of a bunker I just feel it
3: well I had that one yesterday and it wasn't the best shot, like, weird par 5 we yeah, had yeah, and yeah. I was in that front bunker I know I didn't put it super close but I put it that like was a nice re- shot yeah and I just didn't I almost feel weirdly more
2: confident with that than a chip from the same area. Just been, literally, yeah. I mean, guy just nipped out then. But um, we've just been talking about the same thing. Like, I feel way more confident with a bunker shot. Yeah. Um,
3: I think as well, in a, in, in a way, with a bunker shot, I know i going to get out like, without being funny. That's granted. So maybe my expectations are a bit lower. Like, I'm happy with six foot from that shot I had yesterday. Was it down chi- 17? Yeah. Didn't hold the putt annoyingly, but it was a bit of a breaky one. But yeah, I do like bunkers. Um, I think like anybody, anything over... 25, 30 yards, those gets a bit daunting, but I think that's... as
2: I kind of quite like them. Like, well, I feel like you can just hit it hard even if you catch it a bit fat. It's not the end yeah. of the world. So anyway, bunk's a piece of cake. I'll bear that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: One thing, I don't know if you've covered this, I just nipped out then to the, to the bathroom, but one thing a lot of golfers... Don't do is open the face enough in the sand. Like yeah. I tell my friends, open it to so the is might you might disagree with it, can coach him, but open the face, which is pretty much flat to the yeah, surface.
2: Yeah. That's what it'll feel like, yeah, exactly. exactly. increase more
3: bounce it, and open up the face. And they'll do
2: it a little bit, and it's like, no, do it, then grip the club. Correct, and hit yeah. So hard. many, you know, so many do not allow for that extra loft uh, because it looks doesn't look right. No. it looks like it's aiming way off to the right, it looks like you're going to blade it. But as Guy mentioned, if you have it flat to the uh, to the floor and just swing hard and hit a couple of inches behind the golf ball, you're at
3: least getting out
2: hundred percent. And the other thing is, don't stop the ball as soon as your club hits the sand. Don't stop. Yeah. Like make your follow through symmetrical to your backswing. At least sometimes, if not longer, that's what you do with go out of bunkers. Your follow through is really good. Yeah, tell you what,
4: one thing that was a big change for me, sort of slightly changing topic, but is that it's okay to have swing thoughts. Mm-hmm. Because so much of what I've been told is, if you think about your swing during your swing, you're going to mess it up. So I got obsessed with trying to remove every single thought from my head, which is impossible. Yeah. And when, last time we played, I did an interview with you, which we put on our channel, and I just said, you know, what mantras do you have? And you said, well, I don't really have a mantra, but if I do, it'll be something positive. So now, that, that when I'm swinging there are just certain words or certain instructions I'll have. So, like, I I try to just sense the shaft in the backswing and I try to be slow. So I'll say, hit slow. And it's actually fine to be thinking that while you're swinging the club. What you can't do is approach the ball and go, right, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, because you'll invariably do them. But I think that's something, like, accept positive thoughts coming into your head while you're over the ball and in bunkers especially, I think for me, is talking myself through the technique is fine. I don't think you can change your swing on the golf course. I think that's a very dangerous road to go down. But if you are remembering a lesson, like your slice lesson, I will actually say to myself, okay, strengthen your grip, cross over those forearms as you go through in my practice. So I'm yeah. almost sort of giving myself the lesson before I hit the shot. And that's fine.
2: Yeah, very rarely over the last... God knows, twenty years have I stood over a shot out right on the golf course with no thought. I've, you have to think something, like even if, if it's just a little technical thing, if it's just a little feeling of some description. I, I've
3: sometimes had ones when it sounds so sad, but you feel almost like a pro golfer. Like yeah. there was one I did today, and I played you. I was feeling like Tommy Fleetwood on my follow through. It would yeah. look absolutely nothing like him, but it weirdly felt yeah. quite good, and it you, worked.
2: Uh, even like walking down the hole, like Rory McIlroy, yeah. like he has such a. Distinctive walk and like bit yeah. of a cocky walk, but that's kind of sometimes having that mantra. You kind of feel like you're playing a bit more like. That I think player. it's even
3: like, and this is a silly one, but I always put my glove in my back pocket. There's no reason for it to be no. there. i would be on me. Put a head cover on the bag or in my left hand side pocket. But yeah, it's what the tour pros do. And then when I'm playing well, I almost feel like that motion of taking the glove off each finger at a time, yeah. flapping the velcro Correct. over, stick it in my back pocket. And I'm playing at a local midweek yeah, comp and yeah. I'm probably five over to nine. But yeah, I feel like I'm tiger yeah, and yeah. I think it just
4: I will quite often after even a six foot putt, if I've made it, I'll quite often take the ball out of the hole, just hold it up to the <laughs> crowd. Or or with my Tip cat. That. Like like they do. I now need to go to for a week.
2: Um I feel like you used to put where your glove on you not the, now. Sorry, John. So, just my, down. You can go to the toilet in a minute, John. You sit there, right? answer this so, question.
4: Putting-wise, I've now had four four putting lessons from four different people, and I'm going to include the sort of tips you gave me. One said, look at the hole. One said, look at your thumbnail. One said, look at the ball. And one said, look at your shoes. Look
2: at your thumbnail?
4: Yeah. On the As it goes forward and backwards to get tempo. Oh, my God. I've really struggled with getting a repeatable
2: routine over my putts oh you you is this what you're going to explain those that you very nicely demonstrated in the restaurant last night <laughs>
4: <laughs> well what the place i'm at, at the minute is because i was struggling so much with distance control i thought well on any other shot you, it, that you're not hitting full you've got a little mechanical sort of body trigger so i i sort of get my distances from all clubs when my sort of arm comes to about 90 degrees so that's sort of mm-hmm. three quarter length swing and I was like well you need to come up with a way of doing this for your putts because at the minute you don't know what a six foot putt feels like what weight a 20 foot putt feels like so I just watched how far the club goes back um, if I put my feet together over the putt so sort of within my my left foot cause I'm a left-handed golfer is sort of up to six foot at the back of my left foot is six foot to nine foot and whatever and then I move my feet apart to extend that for longer putts that has helped because I hold a couple yesterday a which I'd never ones. have usually hold you did you put it well yesterday just because I have confidence that I'm not going to hit it too hard or too or even too soft but um so I need that sort of gauge and that the best I've ever putted is looking at the hole but that's just not sustainable I think it's a weird one with putting because
3: although that does seem to be working for you, like behind you in the corner there, I know people can't see it, there's a waste paper bin, and on your table there's you got a few little sugar packets that are obviously for your cup of tea or cup of coffee or whatever. If I said to you now turn around and throw one of those into the bin, I'm not saying you get it in first time, but your throw would be in the vicinity. If I had to do the same from where Rick sapped the six foot away, you'd probably still be quite close. And then if I said to you stand in the corner of the room, you'd be quite close without any practicing. But it's be, almost I'd be looking at the bin. Well, but but I wouldn't even, look at my hands. Well true, but it's almost you almost know how to throw the item. It's almost like built into us and I almost feel like although I'm not the best part in the world, definitely not. But the more you play golf, I do think to some degree you just almost it just becomes i know you have to learn the greens because every green's different, but that distance almost becomes
4: subconscious to some yeah. degree, yeah, but you would never be able to do that if you said there's a bin twenty foot away, mm-hmm. look at the ball in your hand and get it in that bin. you'd never get it in no, that's true, also i'm right handed <laughs> so <laughs> it would be an absolute nightmare throwing a ball in the bin left handed
2: um you can. Go to the bathroom now, Thank if you, you. wish. We'll, we'll cut to an ad break. God, that's a joke. We don't have any ads on no, this No, we, we, we've, got, we've
3: got a few ads. So we are really excited to announce that this podcast has been brought to you by the Rick Shields Golf Show Instagram page. Nice.
2: They've it's always been a big fan of this, uh, the podcast. Massive. They've
3: supported us in so many ways. So if you are an Instagram user, which I'm sure you are, just search on your Instagram search section for the Rick Shields Golf Show and follow it. You could be in the first 6,000 followers. So when it blows up and have like tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, you can screenshot your number and have that as a little treat. There you go. Um, Also, you could follow the Rick Shields um, official Facebook page, which is literally just Rick Shields Golf. There's daily content on there. There's coaching videos. There's fun videos. There's... um, Memes, we're a big fan of memes. I've actually had a promotion recently. I'm Chief um, Creative Director of Memes at Rick Shields Media.
2: <laughs> Chief Memer.
3: Yeah, so I, um, I'm um, i known for... CEO of Memes. Bringing in some memes on there. And then lastly, um, well, second to lastly, there is also, if you're on Facebook, the Rick Shields Golf Show Podcast Group. So that is a group with about 30,000 people in where it's partly about the golf podcast that we obviously produce every week on a Tuesday. But it's also a place to, if you've got a new club and you want to flex and show up a little bit to people and say, listen, my new free wood. I was fitted for it, blah, 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 really enjoying using it, put it on there. Um, and then lastly, we want to promote rating the podcast. So at the moment, the podcast is the number one golf podcast in the UK, um, and it is number one in loads of other countries. I think it's top five in the USA. And then last week, we actually reached number 12, for all sports podcasts in the UK. Which when you think about that, how many football podcasts there are, boxing, rugby, tennis, athletics, just general sport, etc. To get snooker. to number Yeah. Snooker, <laughs> Badminton, Ice hockey, <laughs> air hockey, field hockey, ping pong. Darts that's all the sports I know. Scale electric. Scale electrics. electrics. Um, Formula One. To get to number twelve was massive. So if you rate the podcast through Apple um, that really helps the ratings. If we could get inside the top ten for all sports in the UK, that would be outrageous. The
2: Rick Shields Golf Show Instagram page will um, sponsor every single one of your podcasts. Great.
3: So that's a bit of the self promotion done, um, but we do appreciate everyone that's listening and sharing it around.
2: Well, that was that was incredible uh, biding of time there. Yeah, that really was. Uh, what do you think we're going to do today? Do you think we can make a video?
3: Uh, well, as it stands outside, um, the it's weather's not great, and today. John's just come back from um, his little visit outside.
2: <laughs> his trips to the men's room, men's room. Um, yeah, I think uh, today might be tricky to make a video, but I think we've got some really cool ideas to do. I'd love to definitely.
3: We've still got one video that we're not going to say that we want to do with John, which is the.
2: Yeah, video. but weirdly, I, I, I'm saying we didn't say somebody actually commented on the questions. Or oh, did they? As if they knew. I don't think so. All right. Um, we've got that one. There's, there's a few I think we need to do. Um, maybe a return down south. I insulted you t- yesterday by calling you a Cockney. A little it could get you less Cockney. <laughs> only Oxbridge. It, only because I mean, you, 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 you use a swear word that's very, very Cockney-esque. Well, I would say that's Northern... No way. We if we say that word up here, I mean that is. I thought it's like a term of endearment. No way. Oh, that's
4: that's in um that's Glasgow. <laughs> no, it,
2: it, that word Not is that like fun, no. that's the only word my wife is like. Yeah. Don't say that. Really? At all. Ever. Everything else, I mean, it's fair game. But that word is like sacrilege. Who would have thought saying rhubarb would cause <laughs> such a stir? <laughs> See, that's why you're to think of a funny word then and my mind
3: went completely blank. I can't think of a single word in the dictionary to say then. How
2: did you go with rhubarb? Because <laughs>
4: me and um, Alex played uh, Sunningdale Heath, which I would recommend to anyone who's in that part of the world. It's, it's next to Wentworth and Sunningdale. It's part of the old Sunningdale course. Um, it used to be their ladies course. It's a par 58, so it's something like I can't work out the maths, but it's like 14 par threes, four par fours. But it doesn't feel like you're on a, a short course. It's beautifully landscaped. Um, and we we're off the first tee, and this really nice lady was hitting the her tee shot, and she hit it into the out-of-bounds, and she went, oh, rhubarb. So all so that, that round, me so and Alex, funny.
2: whenever we hit a bad it's shot, a we're
4: going, that's oh, a load of rhubarb.
2: I wonder if that has a different terminology. I feel like it does. Or maybe
4: it was really offensive down there. Possibly.
2: <laughs> possibly. Um I think that's it for the podcast today. Everybody, thanks so much for listening. Again, rate the podcast. Um it's been a pleasure chatting to you again, John. Um our goal was to do a forty minute podcast. We're one hour thirty one. Okay. Which you're gonna have to
4: inevitably cut out a bit of my wisdom, I think.
2: I think you give I think you give too much. <laughs> that's the There's issue. one little cut we need to do, but other than that keep it all in guys thanks so much for listening stay tuned lots more to come it's been a pleasure again john um hopefully safe travels with not too much wafting through the back window as you drive back home and if we do inevitably do something we might grab some lunch go to the driving range or do something make sure you we'll we'll post a bit on the rick shields instagram podcast
4: make sure you follow bad golf yeah, follow um, at Bad Golf channel about that on uh, YouTube, uh, Facebook, and, no, not Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. You could have sponsored the podcast if we didn't know.
2: We'll see you all soon. Peace out.
4: Bye bye.